magician Rob McGregor welcome you to a place where all kinds of phenomena flourish. Voices whisper, ancient secrets, signs and symbols are abundant. UFOs, ETs, ghosts, and even the dead move about freely. Here we meet authors, researchers, and investigators of the mysterious, the strange, and of the inexplicable anomalies that surround us. Step out of the everyday world and take a journey into the mystical underground. Welcome to the mystical underground. Thank you for joining us. This is Rob McGregor and Trish McGregor and our tech magician, John Posey. Mystical Underground is a place where the weird and the wonderful flourish, where ideas that are contrary to mainstream materialistic science are explored and the mundane everyday world takes a backseat. You can go to our website, phenomena111.com and find out about our nonfiction books, including the most recent one, Phenomena, Harnessing Your Psychic Abilities. <clears throat> And you can visit blog.synchrosecrets.com, where we create regular posts. Our guest today is Hilary Hemingway, a creator and co-author of five books, two on alien abduction, Dreamland and Dream Child, one on time travel called Time Blender. She also wrote a semi-biographical no novel, Hunting with Hemingway, and a biography of her uncle entitled Hemingway in Cuba. Hilary also has worked in broadcasting TV for a... <clears throat> WGCU-PBS, where she produced segments of Media Watch, Expressions, and an episode for Literary Explorer. That featured Hemingway's life and work in Cuba and was hosted by her husband, Jeff Lindsay. It went on to be distributed nationally by PBS and won a Tilly Award for Excellence in Journalism. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. You grew up in a, a family of professional writers, not just your famous Uncle Ernest, but your dad, Les, owned a newspaper in the Bahamas, and your mom, Doris, was the writer and editor for University of Miami Medical Journal. Okay, so what's it like being a Hemingway? <laughs> you find that others have a certain expectation about you. Yes, in particular, English professors. <laughs> <laughs> um, do they come to you for info? I'm kind of curious. I mean, to me, you're like a they scholar. Do now. I mean, no. What, when I was a kid, I didn't really actually, I didn't really know my uncle. Um, I mean, my dad would sit and do interviews with writers that would come to talk to him and I'd listen in, but um, it wasn't until I started going through my dad's papers and reading, we had almost 1500 letters um, that he had made copies of from family members and friends of Ernest so he could write his biography on his brother. And he actually wrote it while Ernest was still alive and sent him a first draft, which I think is the only first draft of a, a bio that Ernest had an opportunity to read, even if he didn't read it, because mm -hmm. he was pretty upset when my dad sent it to him saying, how could you do this? Because in our family, we have the inner circle and the outer circle, <laughs> the inner circle knows everything about everybody, but you're never supposed to talk about it. And then the outer circle is, you know, the public at large wanting to get a piece of you. Mm -hmm. So, um, in any event, these were incredibly informative letters and I started reading them and eventually, you know, 
I, the more you read and understand of the person, the more you feel comfortable writing about them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Your dad would also have groups of uh, writers and other people that uh, would come to like uh, parties where you'd have a like a fire, outdoor yep. fire, and uh, talk. And that, that sounds very interesting. And I saw one of those people was, Char- uh, I didn't know you know, knew Charles Williford. Charlie Williford, yeah. Right. Oh, we knew him too. Mr. Writer, we knew yeah. him, yeah. yeah. He was yeah, a character. A lot of writers from the Miami News and the Miami Herald were good friends of my family, and they would come over and have a drink and stare at the fire and tell stories. Huh. <laughs> that's cool. So how about, I kind of grew up hearing stories. Yeah. How about Edna Buchanan? Did you know her? No. I sure did. Okay. And um, she was actually a neighbor, so we'd see her uh-huh. we'd walk her dog around the house. <laughs> um, we lived yeah. on the same island. We lived on uh, Venetian Causeway between Miami and Miami Beach. Hmm. And was... I just went back for my uh, 40th high school reunion and was really surprised that, uh, first off, the island's not as big as it used to be when you're a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but the yeah. houses are about twice the size that they were, and they were big houses to begin with. Oh, yeah. Is that a place where people we buy lived the... In a, you what? We lived in an old Spanish house, Spanish-style house built in 1928. The walls were like two feet thick, so it sort of had this eerie haunted feeling and rightfully so because it was haunted (laughs) that was my next question (laughs) Uh, yeah no we um, among the the more interesting things is my parents would have uh, Friday night seances and I don't know you guys know about table tipping yeah Yeah. you you, um, ask the spirit when the spirit comes through uh, to give you answers yes and no answers so um the table would have to jump twice for a yes and once for a no because it's always harder to get somebody to agree with you to give you a yes. Hmm. Well, tell us about that one with the piano. Right. So this actually is, um, so this was the last, um, last seance that we did, and I was about 12 or 13 years old, and it's a two-story house with a sunken living room and all these amazing old uh, antique furniture that came with the house. It was uh, for the 1920s. So I come downstairs and I had heard a bunch of laughing and then horsing around and they, what happened was that there were the psychic, my parents and another couple from England. And um, they had this spirit come through that instead of just lifting the table or making it jump, you know, once or twice in yes and no answers, the four-legged table was actually walking on two legs across the living room. Wow. And they had never experienced anything like that. And even the psychic said she didn't know what was going on. Mm. Um, And that's when the the gentleman who was the the, the guest, uh, Dr. Most, said, um, let's see how strong this, this spirit really is. And so they all walked over to the grand piano. <laughs> and so you have a, a grand piano and you have, you know, five people putting their fingertips on the top of the piano. And I came down and I'm watching all this, sitting on the stairs going into the sunken living room. 
And I see the piano lift up at least a foot and a half off the ground. Wow. Later, it took eight grown men from Mayflower Moving Company to move that piano. (laughs) So this thing is just levitating. Wow. You know, and my mom freaks out because she's sure it's going to fall and, you know, do serious <laughs> damage to everyone. And so she yells, you know, and that's, uh, she said, let's stop this. And and then the psychic whose eyes are like fluttering, like a butterfly, <laughs> she says, the spirit will reveal itself. And she kind of points to the windows. We had these big arched windows and there's a face plastered up against the window. And oh we all God. saw it. Oh, <clears throat> Yeah, and the piano, by the way, did drop to the ground and make a big thud. Um, <laughs> it actually cracked the soundboard. But oh, I, yeah. In any event, uh, the, my mom immediately said, okay, that's the last dance we're ever holding. <laughs> um, <laughs> Too destructive. She took everybody into the living room and she, uh, from the living room into the dining room where there's this big long table and, and gave everybody a piece of paper, said, draw me a picture of what you saw. And we all drew the same picture. And it was like, you know, scary devil-like guy with a goatee looking face and really bright eyes. I don't know if it was the reflection of the light or what, but it was like when you see an animal in the dark. Uh I'm not, they weren't red. They were, they were like glowing, but it was white-ish. So it was like a demon demon type uh, being possibly. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, was and, this the ghost so in that house or was it some other? No, ghost? no. So the ghost that was in the house was always a friendly ghost. And, and, um, the husband and wife who had owned the house before us, the husband had passed away and, uh, Mr. Hendricks and his, his initials were LCH. And my father's initials were Lester Clarence Hemingway, LCH. Oh. Uh-huh. What's interesting is that they both ended up dying in that house. My dad, you know, took his own life um, after living in that house for almost 30 years. Wow. And um, Mr. Hendricks died of a heart attack. Hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, how old were you when your dad died? Uh, 19, 18, something yeah. like that. Uh-huh. I was just. You know, I graduated high school and had was going to the college. So, uh, yep. death by suicide was something that uh, was somewhat unfortunately familiar in the Hemingway family. Yeah, my dad used to joke and say it was the family exit. It stopped <laughs> being funny after he took it. Yeah, right. And uh, but, your your grandfather as well, right? As well yeah. as Ernest, of course. And but one of the Hemingway. And your cousin, they Margo? All had, well, yeah. I had a letter from Margo the week before she died, and she was so positive in the letter. But yeah, that was questionable bipolar, whether that was suicide, right? Right, because it was an overdose of, of pills, and she yeah. was epileptic. So it's possible that the medication she was taking for the epilepsy in a, while having you know, the beginnings of a grand mal seizure, you know, hmm. she took too many. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, but Mary it was actually manic depressive and it was uh-huh. suicide. So yeah. I'm not going to argue with her. She knows her she sister better than I did. Mm-hmm. Was there was there a third uh, sibling in that uh, family? Uh, because yeah, Ursula. 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 Okay. Ursula was um, one of the daughters 
there were six kids in the family and Ursula passed. Um, and my aunt funny used to tease, uh, funny with Madeline, but everybody had a nickname in the family. Mm-hmm. And so she would say that Ursula had, um, might not have been a suicide, except she left so many notes that couldn't deny it. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hmm. She was definitely depressed, but brilliant, apparently. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So there was always an interest in the family about, you know, strange supernatural stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, uh, didn't your father know Jean Dixon too? Didn't she come visit? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Like I said, it was a very strange thing. He had lots of friends who were psychics, and they would sit and they would talk and, you know, kibitz, have dinner. And I I remember at one point there was a healing going on. And this was interesting because I had just been sent to a friend's house to get chicken pox. He had come <laughs> down with chicken pox, and this was back in the day when they would send their your kids right. to go hang out with <laughs> yeah. the other kids to get them sick so that they would be then immune to it, right? And I looked at my friend, and I was like, oh, he looks so miserable. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're covered with all these dots and scratching and everything. And so yeah. um, that night, there were a couple psychics over the house and, uh, and a woman who was a healer. And so she said, well, let's do a, a healing. And I think her husband was also working that way. I, I forget their names, but they were people of at the time were mm-hmm. fairly famous for it. And so they did a healing on me because I said, I didn't want to have the chicken pox and I never got the chicken pox. Oh, funny. Oh, really? Even though, even after you were exposed, oh, even huh. though I was exposed, I did get it when I was 30 years old <laughs> in California. And I went, I took my two year old to a birthday party and somebody at the birthday party had it. So boom, I came down with something and, I swear to you, I look like Linda Blair from The Exorcist. <laughs> I had these giant boils all over my face. Yeah, I, I, think it, I think it can be more dangerous as yeah. an adult, actually, and you can die. Yeah. Kids, so, you know, that's why they wanted to expose them early. Right. <laughs> they weren't just being mean. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh. Hillary, did uh, Ernest have any interest in metaphysics? Do you know? I think I think it actually goes back to my grandmother. She started the whole. Well, as far as I can tell, she started it, and everybody afterwards always had it. That was Grace. They would talk about grandmother Grace. Yes, this was Grace Hall Hemingway, Ernest's mother. She was Um, an opera singer, wasn't she? She started her life uh, trained in opera. She actually trained with some very famous woman. And was supposed to go on a tour in Europe um, for the summer and instead decided uh, 20 to marry um, my grandfather, Dr. Clarence Hemingway. So she always kind of resented the fact that she gave up a, uh-huh. a career in opera um, to become a housewife. Mm. <laughs> I know this sounds weird, but, you know, and to be married to that peasant, the the doctor, um, because her family were the halls and they were all bankers and quite wealthy <laughs> and snotty. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, but anyway, they thought even less of when Ernest decided to become a writer. It's like, when are you going to get a real job? Yeah. Um, all writers have heard so, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got to have that bread and butter job. 
<laughs> Tell it. To, she also had a reading with Edgar Casey. She did. Yes. In fact, I just recently that. was digging that up so that I could read you a portion of it if you'd like to. Yeah. Oh, that'd be great. Yes. And so just for is, anybody um, who doesn't know, wait, uh, Edgar Casey was the most famous psychic. It's called the Sleeping Prophet uh, of the 20th century. So if people are listening to our. Uh, Mr. Gondergan, they probably know who Edgar Yes, I'm Casey sure they is. do, but just in case they don't. <laughs> okay. Right. So Edgar, she wrote Edgar Cayce. Um, uh, it says here, uh, he answered her, this, this is a psychic reading from Edgar Cayce, Office Association on Virginia Beach on the fifth day of November in 1943. Wow. And given that, we were getting involved with World War II. Edgar Casey was really busy answering all these people who wanted to know how their kids were doing in the war. Hmm. So um, anyway, so she wrote, and so present was Edgar Casey, Gertrude Casey, conductor <coughs> is Gladys Davis, who hmm. took the notes. Um, and they usually start with, uh, it says here, uh, Mr. Casey, you will be giving the relations of this entity and the universe and the universal forces given the conditions which are personalities latent and exhibited in the present life, also former appearances on the earth plane, i.e. in you know, mm-hmm. uh, reincarnation, right. uh, time, place, and name, and that each life which built or retarded the development of this entity, soul, spirit, um, given the abilities of present entity, that which it may attain. Hmm. Will you answer these questions? And then Casey answers yes. And then he always goes into third person because it's his, I don't know, his uber soul is doing yeah. the reading. Yeah, he's sleeping, the sleeping prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So he doesn't yeah. remember this in daytime, but mm-hmm. he's quite quite the spokesman when he's under hypnosis we are given the records here known of the entity known as grace hall hemingway Mm. interpreting these records we are shown here um and it says not with the intent or the purpose that we might add much to the abilities to the entity but also give somewhat assurance that in that ye have manifest may be fully expressed fourth commandment that ye have sought to seek hmm. not thine own way but his this gets very Christian yeah. that he need of these whatever channel ye find thyself and contribute to those activities and add to life yada yada okay <laughs> <laughs> he goes into that then he talks about you know the sojourns or what I consider the reincarnated uh, past life uh-huh. uh, points. One is um, before the entity was in the Egyptian land, when there were those activities in the temple of sacrifice, there was there the entity aided those who would today be called the physicians, i.e. she was a nurse, hmm. I guess. The entity was also close in association with the one who had been a companion in the present experience, which would have been Dr. Clarence Hemingway. 
That's interesting. Mm-hmm. You said thus, your gra- there was, grandfather. Right. Thus there was brought a bond of sympathy, love, hope, confidence that is still part of the experience. Keep then the faith. All right. Now I'm going to get to the specific questions she asked. So first um, case he gave his He gave multiple uh, past life moments. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, you know, I, 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 there's a bunch of them here because mm-hmm. apparently she was reincarnated multiple times. An old soul. <laughs> old soul, yeah. So then she, her questions that she wrote out were, what does the Heavenly Father want me to accomplish in this world? And it says, sow the seeds of the spirit of truth. You needn't plow them. You needn't try to cultivate them for others. Only cultivate them in thy own life. Hmm. How can I best help my six children to become part and parcel of the kingdom of God on earth just by living and being that ye would ask each of them to be better to be present as an example, not by what you say, but what you are. Hmm. These are the things that will grow most in experience of those whom have given and do give spiritual mental help for as the entity has found there have been only the need to express the desire and it has come to pass in thy experience this is now did she have to write out her questions first yes she did okay there's only four no there's six questions and then she she voiced them or did she um no gladys reads them to her husband uh, no, I'm sorry. Gladys is the note taker. Yeah. His so wife she reads it. Yeah. Okay. Right. Mm. And I'll just jump ahead to the stuff that everyone's going to want to hear, which is, <laughs> uh, okay. So it says, why was it? Okay. Keep in mind, this is 1943. Her husband, Dr. Clarence Hemingway died in 1928. He lost a bunch of money in the stock market and couldn't pay the, real estate bill that he had for all this land they had bought in a little town called Sarasota, Florida. Mm. Too bad. Would have made a bunch of money. <laughs> Definitely. Anyway, so he committed suicide in a depression. Ernest actually sent him the money for his taxes, but he never opened the morning mail. Mm-hmm. Huh. Very sad. Wow. So sad. Uh, she took in a, a close friend, um, She's living in a six-bedroom home, so Mm -hmm. she has room to take in orders if she wants some. So she said, I was recently brought back to health after nearly passing into the better land. She was sick. Um, Why question you, fathers? um, Why was I recently brought back to health is what she asked. She says, why question the father's purpose? Rather, let it be. Use me, O father, where thou seest and serve better. Um, and then it says, how, how have I been associated in the past with my present friend, Lillian Betts? In the Holy Land and in Egypt, there were close associations. In Egypt, you were rather close and helpful to one another. And associations in the Holy Land might be questioned in some portion, but parallel to those. I don't know what really that means, but I think they might have been 
husband and wife or something. Uh-huh. Um, question six, the last question she asked. With my son, Ernest Hemingway, how can I best help him? Now, she and Ernest had not been talking much because Ernest blamed his mother for his, driving the father to suicide. Oh, that's interesting. Which is not what really happened, but I will grant you that Grace was not an easy person to be around mm-hmm. based on what my father said. Mm. Anyway, so he says, in the Egyptian land where you contributed and added to the light through which, in which, he became an active force in tempering the lives of others, which is really funny because he used to like to fire up people. Yeah. <laughs> this, in Egypt, he was tempering. Huh. You don't want to cause a riot. <laughs> yeah, um, right. Uh, in adding funny. to it in the present, speak gently, never harshly, which was not her way. Uh-huh. Um, for some day he may come to thee in humblest, humblest, and thank you for what ye have been. Hmm. Did he ever do we that? We are through. I we know. are through? <laughs> I that's what, yeah, that's how he ends it. Uh-huh. When he's done, you know, he's like, I'm done. Yeah. Boy, it's really couched in Christian dog. Uh, yeah. Language. Well, sure. but he, that's, that's Casey's background, too. Right, right. He, was, yeah. he read the Bible every year, you know, that he was, that was his whole thing was to read the Bible every year that he was alive, at least once. Hmm. Do, you know if, do you know if Grace I've ever, done it only once, hmm. so. <laughs> yeah. Do you know if anyway, Grace ever... Do you know if Grace ever told Ernest about the reading? I do not believe she did, but she did tell my father. Huh. Okay, yeah. Because my father told me that there had been a reading. Yeah. So when we moved up to North Carolina, I ended up um, contacting the Virginia Beach R, um, or the Casey, Casey Foundation. And asking them, hey, I understand my grandmother went to visit Casey and get a reading and what well, she didn't visit, but she wrote him a bunch of times. She also wrote when friends got sick and asked him to do readings for them. Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah. So there's, when I, I called them and I asked them that they said, Oh my gosh, yes. You know, it's unusual for them. They have like, I don't know, four to 6,000. Right. Yeah. yeah. They have a lot. They do. And so when somebody who is a relative of one of those comes through, they they are very, very generous with time and effort. And so they gave me a folder of all of the um, trans, the correspondences between Grace and Casey and uh-huh. um, and the reading. And I was like, uh-huh. golly, all I wanted to do was to, you know, you could have mailed it to me. It would yeah, that's <laughs> great. <laughs> but yeah. I got I got a whole big show it was great they were very nice yeah so you did a documentary on uh ernest hemingway on uh, pbs i did okay yeah i went over there in 2000 with my husband jeff Lindsay. here's where i you know ernest always said you gotta write what you know right and yeah if that was true since jeff created dexter Mm -hmm. i've been (laughs) Have you been with a nervous pillar? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <right>. <laughs> but when we went over in 2000, we were delivering or uh, speaking on um, 
the book we did called Hunting with Hemingway. Mm-hmm. And what I found out while I was there was how much the Americans did not know about Ernest Hemingway's life in Cuba, right. which was almost 20 years. You know, he, he went over there and he started living first at Ambrose Mundos and then they, they found the house, the Finca, and they mm-hmm. bought it. And, yeah. And we, know and so they, hung out, we know he hung out a lot at El Floridita. And the <laughs> statue yeah. is right there. Yeah. <laughs> and Hillary's picture's on that wall. <laughs> yeah. They were very kind. They took pictures of me having a Papa Doble, uh, <laughs> which is interesting because when he, he went there, um, golly, the, the famous bartender who worked at the Floridita made him um, Papa Doble. Actually, at that point, it was it was just your typical uh, Mar- uh, Zachary. Mm-hmm. And he said, I want less sugar and more alcohol. So that's how it got its name. Uh, okay. Yeah, I included that in uh, skin Constantine is Constantine, the name of the barber. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, that's cool. Okay, now after has Andy's anyone talk- else had a problem with memory after this whole coronavirus <laughs> thing? Is like stress, <laughs> no, that, we the call them brain parts. Really messing with my brain. <laughs> yeah. yeah I know. Oh well, that's all right. I used to be way sharper. <laughs> Sharp as a tack. Okay, after Andy Garcia saw your documentary on Hemingway. He asked you for a meeting to talk about Hemingway's friendship with the uh, Cuban captain Gregorio Fuentes. Right. Okay, tell right. us about that so, thing. It's fascinating. Right. So, um, the way it's been presented in news um, is that for Gregorio Fuentes was really um, like a confidant uh, to Ernest. Uh, you know, they had a brother-like relationship mm-hmm. and. Mm-hmm. That they talked constantly and 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 kept really great care of the boat and he was he was the captain of Pilar for Ernest for 20 years. Um, there were other people who were involved in teaching Ernest how to bill fish, uh, and that was you know starting with Josie Russell, the owner of Sloppy Joe's Bar, when mm-hmm. he took him over to fish the first couple summers. And then there was this Cuban um, mate uh, that they ha- that Josie hired named Carlos Gutierrez, and he was a wonderful older fisherman. He was 20 years older than Ernest and uh, Gregorio, because Ernest and Gregorio were 11 months apart in age. Uh. But everyone thinks of them, you know, <clears throat> Gregorio sort of become the image of what we all think of as Santiago. But right. in fact, there were six different Santiago's that Ernest based his character on. Mm. For uh, and, which, which and book? Basically, Hemi- I'm sorry? Old, for Old for which, Yeah, that's yeah. what I thought. Okay. And so after meeting all the Cubans and talking with them at great length, I, I learned a, a lot about who was the inspiration behind it. Um, Bob Reich is an American uh, Hemingway scholar, and he actually put together a whole thing about the six different Santiago models. Hmm. And the seven hmm. is is if you count Ernest himself, because obviously any writer who writes some about somebody puts part of themselves into right. it. And I'd say the greatest part of that old man in the sea is that 
Santiago goes out to catch a fish, a great fish that will basically re-instill his reputation mm-hmm. as a good or great fisherman, right? Because he went 84 days without catching a fish. And Ernest, in the same way, wrote Old Man in the Sea after writing a book called uh, Across the River and Into the Trees. And that was the worst book, apparently, the New York Times <laughs> thought so. Um, and, and so he had to write something that would put him back up on top. And so right. this short little story, uh, novella, became that book that put him on top again. Well, that also won him an Nobel, didn't it? Well, he won the Nobel, but he won the Nobel for the collection of work, the oh, life okay. work of Ernest uh-huh. Hemingway. But the Pulitzer was specifically to for the old, um, the old, the old man. Okay. So you yeah. and Andy Garcia wrote a, a script based on... Yes, we wrote about the friendship of the two guys, uh, and we wrote about the whole premise of basically, you know, starting it when his career is in the dumps after the book across the river and into the trees comes out (laughs) and it's about a 50 year old man having an affair with a 19 year old girl. And it was so scandalous today. We're like, she was 19. So what? (laughs) (laughs) Back, you know, Roman Polanski had two 13 year olds. Yeah. Right. Um, So it, it, it was a big thing back in the 1950s when that book came out, but not such a big thing in today's world. Uh Um, Mm -hmm. Um, so is the script, what, what's the state of the script? Rob and I have read it in, in some fashion, in, some, in one of its incarnations. Yeah, yeah back, well, it's, it's had probably 10 major rewrites and mm-hmm. then minor, you know, tweaks for different actors. We were set to go back uh, six or seven years ago, um, right before the big, financial crisis of George yeah, Bush. Right. Um, mm-hmm, so right. gosh, that was longer. It was 2006 or seven. And here we are at 2020. So right. lucky 13. Um, <laughs> so anyway, we had Anthony Hopkins and Annette Benning signed up and we had the uh, funding in place from a Belgian guy. And, and then the financial crisis came through and nobody was making money, uh, loaning money for movies and Hmm. actually I think they started going to the EU uh, United Emirates to borrow money for Hollywood Uh to make movies because they were the only ones that had cash. Wasn't there something with Hopkins too? I vaguely remember. Yeah. Yeah. Hopkins was supposed to play the part of of Anthony Hopkins. Uh He couldn't swim, right? That's what it was. Part of the problem. (laughs) yeah well he's he's just you know people just kept getting older and i think he was offered the part of thor's father and he took it yeah so he didn't want to drone no and there's been other people since then but you know it just keeps passing through hands and it's a really beautiful script and it's a great story i like yeah i like um we'll see i mean andy hasn't given up on it so when you're now you're writing a book based on that, right? I am. I'm writing the novelization of the screenplay. Uh-huh. It usually goes the other way around. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay, first, and then they did the novel. 
So what happened to Pilar, the, uh, the, boat? the boat? That's a story in itself. <laughs> well, yeah, it is. The, the life of Pilar after uh, Ernest's death. Um, Describe the fairly boat. Well docu- the, the boat is a 1930, uh, 1934, 38-foot Wheeler. Um, and the Wheeler Company... Uh, West Wheeler is currently building a, a new boat, brand new boat, and it's almost finished. I think it's supposed to be finished in July for the grand lunch, launching, uh, and it's being built in Maine. Hmm. Um, but the original Pilar is sitting up on blocks in, in Cuba, and the downside to putting um, in Havana. A, a wood boat on blocks on land Mm-hmm. Uh, is that you're basically feeding the termites. Yeah, uh-huh. dry rot. So you have to, yeah, you have to dry rot, and you have the termites having, you know, a brunch every day. Yeah. And <laughs> there's very little you can do except, you know, constantly <clears throat> replace the wood as it, <clears throat> you know, gets rotten. And so they've done that because it's now spent more time out of the water than in the water. Mm. And... Yeah, you think yeah. about it, it's 90 years old, so. Yeah. yeah. But there's another Pilar that's in the Middle Keys in that uh, big shopping. Uh, oh, no. Sure. The world of yeah. sports or. Yeah. Uh, the what is that? Pro Shop. Pro Bass Shop. Pro yeah, Bass Pro Shop. Yeah, sorry. So that's, that's interesting because that's not even a wheeler. That's a boat. The company that made that boat is called a Weeks, W E E K S. And it's. Um, uh, 40 foot and it's about two feet wider than the PLR's <laughs> uh, beam. So you have a, a longer hull and a wider hull and <laughs> uh, it's not, it's a completely different boat, but they painted it to look like the PLR. So they, and they you know, and it's it a says black hull. Yeah, it PLR too, right. And it says PLR sister ship. Oh, okay. It does say that. All right. And you can go aboard and you can get your picture taken with it. Now, Johnny yeah. Morrison, who owns the Bass Pro Shop, is a very nice fellow. And he um, has two actual wheeler boats that he has modified to be the same modifications that Ernest ordered from the Wheeler company. Like he ordered the transom be cut down a foot so that it would be easier to pull a Marlin up and over the transom. Um, and that came actually that uh, with an idea that Josie Russell had. And it didn't start with fish, but with the um, demijohns, which were the barrels that they used to hold um rum in and so it was easier as a smuggler to lift these things out of the water and up onto the boat Hmm. if they didn't have to lift them so high up over the transom well you saw the pilar right in in oh i've been all over the pilar yeah yeah west wheeler and myself were there in 2012 and we um were given special permission to go inside and we made documentation both on in film camera and on video camera of uh, everything and mm-hmm. identified the original Pilar um, parts, basically, that were designed by the Wheeler Company uh-huh. so that we can say, yes, this is really the original Pilar. Mm-hmm. Yes, 
planks have been replaced because of the termites, but the keel is the original. Oh. Uh, the ribs had to be rebuilt from the inside, and then they put new planks on the outside. So you could make an argument that while it's not um, the original, <laughs> it's not a replica. It's not right. a replica because there were no never two boats side by side where they're building a new one right. by itself. Yeah. Right. Um, it is a rebuilt of a of the pillar. Yeah. Well, so, now is it a, like a monument in Havana? Can people or a tourist Everything Ernest is a monument yeah. in Havana. There is a, you know, he, for a guy who did not like tourists, he <laughs> is a tourist mecca. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that. Uh, and Flor- Florida Florida is, is just, cr- I mean, he's got. Cr- jam crowded yeah. all the and time. And they've got his yeah. signature across the bottom of the sign. And, yeah. it, uh, it's crazy. It, it is. is. When you and Jeff uh, lived in L.A., you wrote a screenplay called A Light Within the Shadow about uh, your dad and his. No. No, I wrote that before I moved out to L.A. Okay. Oh, okay. That that was something I wrote myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, And that was uh, about relationship with your father and Ernest, right? Right. I wrote it actually as a catharsis piece about my dad and his life living in the shadow of his brother, because Mm -hmm. my dad had an amazing, adventuresome life, and had he not been related to Ernest, people would remember him for yeah. what he did. He got overshadowed and, and for sure. Said, yeah, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. everything that you ever do now is related to that, which is a thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Now, it, was, it was obviously a lot harder on a guy than it is for a girl because a girl, you're like, well, not everything he did. I <laughs> yeah, <did."> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, was Les younger? He was 16 years younger. Oh, 16 years. Oh. Yeah, so so there was this one guy who wrote a, a biography more recently, and he was like, yeah, they had nothing in common with each other, 16 <laughs> years younger. And I'm like, I happen to have three daughters. The oldest is 14 years older than the youngest, and they <laughs> are totally tight, and that's, that's not true. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that script uh, won first place in uh, for writing in a national focus film contest, is that True. It did, and I won a brand new car out of it. Wow, nice. Was that what I I got a new car from the contest, and then I had a deal with um, Republic Pictures. Oh, cool. Which, yeah, among some of the things, they used to do a lot of cowboy movies. I don't know. (laughs) And it landed me with some money, and I, I ended up moving out to LA, and that's when I said to my mom, I really wish I knew somebody out there. And she said, well, you do. And I said, who? And she said, I've kept in touch with Jeff's mother. And I think he would be wonderful if you could, you know, call him up and see if you could rent a room from him. So I did. Jeff Lindsay? Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. That's how you met Jeff then. Yeah, because my sister and Jeff's sister were best friends in the third grade, and then our families became good friends. We even took trips down to the Keys together when we were little, little. Um, But I don't really remember much of that because I was much younger. Uh, Jeff remembers sitting in the back seat and having my dad tell these great stories about pirate treasure on the drives down to the Keys. <laughs> and that always had a good story to tell. I'll tell you what, he was a fantastic storyteller. 
Yeah. So that's okay. So all right, you, we. That's how you met Jeff. How old were you then? I was sold to him as a child. Yes. Oh, okay, as a child. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm okay. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> sold, yeah. Rob accepted that. You, you were sold. <laughs> I didn't hear the I was sold. sold. Yeah, no, we, we were married the old-fashioned way. <laughs> okay, so our families when, were friends first, and and so we got married to make our moms happy. <laughs> and the last right. thirty-four years have been wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So when Jeff came up with this idea for Dexter, how did you feel about it? I thought it was the most brilliant thing I had read. I really loved it, but it was so different from everything that was out there. And we had done different from other things that were out there. And inevitably they go, no, that's too different. Uh But um, in fact, I remember he ended up changing agents because the agent who first represented us read Dexter and said, boy, I don't think I could sell that. Wow. Boy, I bet he regretted that. Yeah, I bet he did. (laughs) Hello. I mean, that ran on Showtime for how, how long? Eight seasons. Yeah. And there are eight books. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, but, maybe, right, maybe he couldn't sell it, but somebody else could. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, uh, yeah, I remember, you know, being in your your house there in Florida. Your kitchen. Your, your kitchen there where... Yep. Jeff, Jeff has those knives. <laughs> making uh, dinner and having those knives in his hand, standing next to him, think kind of backing away a little bit, <laughs> thinking, this guy wrote Dexter. Oh, and he's come got on. Two sharp knives <laughs> I don't in need to worry. <laughs> you don't need to worry until we get out the duct tape and plastic sheets. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, how many trips have you made to, to Cuba, Hillary, for research? And- I think it was about nine trips. Oh, between wow. writing the book Hemingway in Cuba and writing the a literary explorer and producing mm-hmm. it um, for PBS. So I think there ah. were nine trips. Jeff went over there more because he was teaching a class for FGCU and they had gotten a license to travel legally. That was my next question. <laughs> over there. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he, he actually went over more than I did. Mm-hmm. And his Spanish is better. Mm-hmm. I don't actually... Speak Spanish, although I took it twice in college and failed twice. Um, <laughs> but I understand it if I'm drunk enough. Yeah. It's really weird. <laughs> it, it's it's really bizarre. If I have enough alcohol in my system, I, it, maybe it's just <laughs> empathy. I don't know. But I can feel what the conversation is saying. And it's in Span- I can do that with Spanish and German, so that really doesn't make sense either. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. It's your, it's your past lives. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Well, so the only way you could go before Obama opened up Cuba was through educational stuff, right? So that's how right. Jeff... Or, or if you had a media um, pass and you were able to go okay. representing either television or, or, or books. Did, so did you have we to... Went, our initial trip actually was legal because we went, we were invited to a Hemingway seminar and we were presenting a book, Hemingway in Cuba. Hmm. But then it did open up and Jeff was able to get the university to um, apply for and they got a license to travel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who, who issued that? The states? The U.S.? The Treasury Department actually issues <laughs> licenses. That's weird. Of course. 
Yes, that's very strange. They're who de- they're who decide, you know, whether we can trade with anybody. Hmm. Um, since Another, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to talk about the paranormal detective series. I was yeah, just going to ask you about that. In fact, <laughs> your call, well, your weekly it, column it, you're writing. Yep, and it was the most fun. At the same time, I was writing that. Jeff was writing one about his our family, and and so um, it was always like very funny and you know cute with kids. And then I would be writing one with also you know and. We never called our children by their real name. We always called them by our our nicknames for them. Because in a family tradition, you just keep the nicknames. And so inevitably, my paranormal column was me explaining to my children why it, it makes total sense um, for whatever we're doing. Like when I think it was, we went to Bimini. And we had planned this trip and, you know, my daughter came in one time and she just was like, mom, you look so tired. I was like, thanks. (laughs) But we ended up going to the fountain of youth and that was a lot of fun because I was reliving an experience I had had with my mom and dad. And Bimini today has something that they claim is the fountain of youth, but it's Uh not the original one that my father was part of Uh. reporting he owned the Bimini newspaper and and that made him editor in chief as well as the only writer. (laughs) (laughs) And um, he was working with a guy named Jim Richardson and a guy named Manson Valentine. Manson Valentine was uh, a Yale educated, I believe. Three PhDs. Geologist, and, uh, very yeah. interested in the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, <laughs> very. And, and he it, he was involved in finding the Bimini Road and documenting it, and then right, uh, yeah. Uh, Gave Charles anyway. his info for the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, book. We, they got it stolen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> never got anything. But anyway, <laughs> but, yeah. but anyway, um, okay. So go ahead. Yeah. So. My, I remember my dad was really upset about that because he was supposed to be working on a book with Valentine. Oh. Hmm. Um, but anyway, uh, in this case, Jim Richardson owned the uh, big hotel that was on South Bimini at the time. North Bimini is where almost all the hotels are. Mm-hmm. Uh, South Bimini, which is, you know, they're separated by a, basically a, uh, a dredged cut in between the two islands. Um, had one hotel at that time, a uh, couple uh, residence houses and an air, and a airport that you could land little Cessnas on. But mm-hmm. primarily, most people came across on Chalks, which was the seaplane service what? from Miami. Chalks. Oh, Chalks, yeah, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I don't believe they run anymore. But at the time, they did. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, Jim Richardson was trying to find a freshwater source. So it had nothing to do with finding the fountain of youth at that point. It was about, I don't want to pay a dollar a gallon for water when gasoline (laughs) is 30 cents a gallon. (laughs) (laughs) And so Jim had uh, brought down a guy who was a professional dowser Mm -hmm. and um, a woman who was a psychic and 
they flew around in a Cessna looking for the fountain uh, of youth. water. Yeah, mm. basically looking for water. Uh-huh. And they found on South Bimini, off of South Bimini, not on, um, it's actually in the mangrove uh, north of South Bimini, but not part of North Bimini. And okay. it would have been, if you think about it, 18,000 years ago, sea water was about 600 feet lower than it is right now. Uh-huh. And the, <clears throat> the ice caps have been melting ever since. You yeah. go back 10,000 years ago, around uh, when they think Atlantis was, was 9,000 to 10,000 years ago, mm. they, the water sea level was about 300 feet mm. lower than it is. So if you ever want to find Atlantis, it's got to be around 300 feet lower in the ocean Uh Mm. than it is now. So anything you find up high would have been a mountain, you know, Mm. back then. In this case, the water that they found was actually, it appeared, um, it was in a mangrove island, it looked like. So when they cut the mangrove back and went to this spot, what they found was the coral rock was cut down like a swimming pool. Mm-hmm. It was uh, 40 by 60 feet. No, 20 by 20 by 40 feet. I'm sorry, I got it wrong. And they staked it out with these big iron stakes and it went mm-hmm. down and they measured the water at the bottom that was coming up through the coral and that was 100% fresh water. Huh. By the time it got to the surface, which was like 12 feet up higher, and then it mixed with the salt water that would come in, mm-hmm. it was brackish. But what they had was something that was spewing out fresh water continuously and thousands of gallons wow. every day. Hmm. So <clears throat> they took they took sam- water samples to make, you know, all, uh-huh. the, all the numbers work on what's in it how fresh is it, et cetera, mm-hmm. over to the Rosenstiel Marine Science Building and University of Miami on Key Biscayne. And they were the ones that discovered that it had this unusual element of radon-222 and some wow. other goodies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, it might actually have some health benefits. And then everyone was laughing, going, oh, it's the fountain of youth. <laughs> well, my... my Dad was asked by um, in search of if they would do it, you know, they wanted to do a story about Bimini. So mm-hmm. they covered the Bimini wall, which is actually, or the Bimini road mm-hmm. is these giant blocks right. off of North Bimini that forms kind of a U-shaped pattern. And um, that was something Manson Valentine tried to document and, you know, said that it was, ancient Mm -hmm. and then they did the artesian freshwater well that was coming up through the uh, mangroves and in that episode both my dad and i are seen you know climbing into the pool Mm -hmm. and i remember thinking at the surface i'm seeing these little tiny small sharks swimming out (laughs) 
God. And I'm like, I am not wanting to go into that water, but I did. <clears throat> and um, my dad noticed that his skin cancer on his arms and legs were going away and his gout had left him. Oh, wow. So my mom on the next trip over, because back then we had free uh, Chalk airline tickets. I never realized what a great childhood that was, but yeah, yeah really. Right. I could tag along with my dad and go over to Bimini on weekends. Right. Uh, um, I thought everybody did that. <laughs> yeah, except when you're but a kid, I could you go on Miami Beach, and <laughs> that kind of warped me too, because I thought everybody's parents were lawyers and doctors and Jewish, <laughs> and our family was just weird. <laughs> And except when you're a kid, you don't want to really go to the fountain of youth because you want to grow up and get old and be an adult, That's right? right? That's right. <laughs> well, so what happened? But my mom had the most amazing experience because she had, um, what's it called? The skin <coughs> disease. The what? Skin disease. Eczema. Eczema. Oh, eczema. Right, yeah. right. So she had this pattern on the top of her foot. Um, that was a big kind of patch of eczema that would flare up at least once a month, if not more. And it was, you know, a horrible red, itchy, mm. kind of pimply looking rash. And um, she she got over there and, you know, it smelled pretty bad. It smelled like swamp. Yeah. <laughs> and she stuck her foot in it and she said, okay, I've been to the fountain of views. I'm going back to the boat. So she went back <laughs> and I, you know, went back with her and we sat there on the boat waiting for dad to finish with the reporters and camera people. And that's when I noticed, I said, mom, look at your foot. And it looked like there was like sand on the top of the eczema patch. Mm -hmm. But so she brushed it away and it was actually salt. And when wow. she brushed it away, it was absolutely clean, pink, ah. fresh skin, like the baby's bottom. Wow. Nice. And I was like, okay, I'm going over there. Jeez. Cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go back, you know. Yeah, but, really. Well, can anybody go there? Some, no, well, because uh, people hear about it, but they don't actually know where it is. Uh huh. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, the people who knew are dead. Mm -hmm. I sent over a bunch of, of the Bimini newspapers that dad had documented where it was and stuff like that. But at the time, they were taking people to. What looked like, I swear to you, a pond on uh, South Bimini that was, you know, a mosquito pond. Oh, God. It, it only fills with rainwater. It, do, it yeah. doesn't have fresh, clean water coming up underneath it. Right. So, yeah, yeah I would go there. Did your mother's it, uh, foot uh, remain healed, you know, with the, from it the It did. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Honest to God, it did. The rest yeah. of her life, she never had that problem. That's incredible. Yeah. Well, That's Hillary, right. find us that place. We need to go now. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. we're, we're coming close to the end of the hour, but I want to ask a couple of questions. I want to ask you, uh, you've written two novels about UFOs and alien abductions. Uh, have you had any UFO or related <laughs> experiences yourself? She's, um, she's a, I've she was seen a, things that don't make a whole lot of sense in how they travel. I mean, like satellites are supposed to move it one direction. Mm -hmm. constantly as it crosses the sky, you know, and it crosses really fast because it's moving at 15,000 miles per hour a satellite. And we've seen those, we've seen satellites. And then you see these things that look like satellites and then they suddenly make a right turn right. and a yeah, left turn. Exactly. You're yeah. like, that's impossible. 
Wow. So yeah. yeah, I've seen a bunch of those. Yeah. But I've never been abducted. But it, that was the story behind that was um, Steph and I were getting married, and uh, I had always been interested in UFOs. Of course, my dad had seen he had seen some stuff mm-hmm. off of Andros mm-hmm. lights that he could not explain and places where the company on Andros. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Off of Andros, yeah. Uh-huh. And and so he had always told these great stories and and so i always kept clippings and so on our wedding day or night maybe the week before it i don't know we were there for a while helping mom get the house ready and um jeff pulls out a drawer from my childhood you know dresser and it's filled with articles that i clipped as a kid and i thought oh no he'll never marry me you will think I'm crazy. <laughs> think you're too weird, and, right? Right. And then he turned to me and he had this kind of strange smile. And he said, you know, when I was a kid, I kept him in a cigar box. <laughs> <laughs> so he had been doing the same kind of clippings. Okay. That's funny. So UFOs and paranormal yeah. and that sort of thing. Yeah. Go- no, that was just aliens and, and, and oh. UFO stuff. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, but the the paranormal detective took me all over the place. We did crop circles in Pennsylvania uh, that were really cool. Yeah. And Who that's did you when do my that daughter for? thought um it was for the Ogden Nutting newspaper chain, but basically it was the on in Cape Coral it was the Daily Breeze, Sanibel, yeah. it was the Sanibel Allender. Yeah. It was a, like five different newspapers that they owned that carried it. Yeah, cool. And you mentioned but, that uh Okay, go ahead, Hillary. <laughs> oh, you can tell I was talking about the crop circle, but basically anywhere we travel, when we would travel, I would uh-huh. write a story, and then every, all your travel is, you know, still there. Tax deductible. It's part of your job is to go out and get the story. So right. uh, we would go when we were upstate New York, uh, where his family had a place to stay. We would also then, you know, make trips outing. Uh, to like haunted houses and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And then on the way home, we were coming back from um, one of those trips, Out. and we stopped. That's, that's I'm sorry. No. Hello. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. We hear you. <laughs> sorry. Okay. Yeah. So we stopped okay, at so... this crop circle, and it ah. was um, it was interesting because I talked to the farmer about it, and he said it formed. It was not there when he went in and 10 minutes later, when he came out of his house, it was there. Wow. And then somebody saw it as they were flying a, a helicopter over and they took a picture of it and it was on the news. And he said in two days, everybody had come to see this crop circle and it <laughs> ruined his, his uh, patch of corn. Yeah. <clears throat> or wheat. No, it was weed. It wasn't corn. And it just, you know, there's those two old English guys that came out and said, yeah, we did it all. And right, right. Way <laughs> yeah. that they could have done it. I think it was 9,000 crop circles in 30 countries. Yeah, so, uh, yeah some of them were hoaxes, but there were some that, there were a lot that, that weren't. couldn't be explained. Yeah. 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 And they well, still, the still are happening as well. Three circles uh, with pathways between each one. Mm. And uh, the wheat shaft was bent over but it wasn't dead so huh. if, you, if you break it using the, the what the guys did was a plank of wood <coughs> sorry 
and, and squishing and down the uh, the corn. But yeah. these, this egg came across really fast, and there was like a humming in the in the patch that you could hear, like a buzzing mm. sound. Yeah. And it wasn't bugs. It was just like a buzzing sound. And mm. I remember when I came back up, I, I think it was um, Hannah Bear said to me, um, Hannah, less, your daughter. Yeah. 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 Okay. But we called her Bear. Yeah. Um, anyway, so she said something along the lines of, You look like you're somebody from a TV station. And I said, <laughs> Oh, really? And, you know, I'm thinking, X Files. And then she says, no, I'm thinking Scooby-Doo, Mom. You're Thelma. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> oh, thank you, sweetie. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> Hillary, I have one final question for you. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Ernest Hemingway had an out-of-body experience. Uh, what what yes. about Tell us about that. Well, that, it's actually fairly well known because it was in World War One. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, serving as a uh, Red Cross ambulance driver. And so uh, he talks about this. This is a, a fairly famous scene where he, he goes out to the front lines. He wasn't supposed to be that close to the front lines. He was supposed to be, you know, retrieving bodies and moving them to the right. hospital. But uh, he had seen this battle and he had seen, you know, the, the Italian soldier fall from the Germans and he went out to pick him up and he picked him up <clears throat> carried him on his back and suddenly he felt his knees buckle and he he fell down and they had shot i don't know what kind of mortar or something something that had shrapnel and it had it had hit the italian that was on his back actually probably mm. saved his life because it took a lot of shrapnel and then it it you know ended up embedding itself into his legs Mm-hmm. And when he fell, he talked about seeing his body below him. Mm-hmm. And he had slipped, he felt like his spirit had slipped out like a handkerchief, is the way he described it, being pulled uh-huh. from your pocket. Whoa. And then he was looking down at his body. Mm-hmm. And then he woke up in the Italian hospital. Oh, jeez. Uh, and the Italians ended up leaving this uh, brass uh, plate on. Uh, this place where um, this great battle had taken place and something like 2,000 Italians had died there. Mm. And then right beside it was this pillar with another blast plate that said, the great writer Ernest Hemingway was <laughs> wounded here. <laughs> oh, boy, they got... <laughs> he got 2,000 guys dead. Yeah, yeah all right. He gets... and one guy gets wounded and he gets a pillar. Don't <laughs> figure. Um, yeah. Wow, Hillary, this has been great. I found out a bunch of stuff I didn't know about you. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> well, Would have been more fun if we'd had it in person with a glass yeah, I know. But yeah. We'll do that after this <laughs> pandemic is yeah. gone. Yeah. Amen. So how can people find out more about you online? And your books? and. Uh, I try to live in seclusion nowadays. Okay. <laughs> I don't actually have anything going on. I have a website, Hillary Hemingway Art, which sells um, my artwork on T-shirts. But yeah, cool. yeah, I'm not you. pushing any of my books right now. Okay. I, you can still look up the books. You can look up Hillary Hemingway, and they're still for sale on Amazon. Um, most of them are remaindered. Nothing yet. Okay. I've got nothing new to sell. 
Okay. All right. Just, well, that's temporary. I've spent the last 10 years really just taking care of children and elderly parents. Yeah. yeah. So, it is a good job. Thanks for listening to The Mystical Underground. Listen to the podcast at www.themysticalunderground.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. Follow Trish and Rob on Instagram at Trish and Rob McGregor. Follow us on Twitter at The Mystic Cast. Visit the blog, blog blog.synchrosecrets.com. Visit the book site, phenomena111.com. Send us email, podcast at themysticalunderground.com. And until next week, thank you for listening and stay mystical. I would rather tell you about working with um, Leonard Nimoy because he narrated my my documentary that I shot when I was still in college oh, on fine. two Holocaust survivors. Very cool. Yeah, that is it was cool. cool. And I remember him he, the first time he laid down the audio track and he said to me, did I make you know, cause you, you lay down an audio track and then you cut the picture to match the film. They mm-hmm. said, oh, your audio. And, uh. and, and so he said, is, is that all right? Do you want me to read it differently, shorter, faster? And I remember thinking, no, it's fine. I, I mean, I'm blushing. I'm, I'm in shock. <laughs> absolute shock. I'm meeting, you know, <laughs> I know it's fun. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I will cut my movie to fit you. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. Whatever you want. <laughs> so funny. Thank you very much, Hillary. Yeah, this has been great. I'll talk to you soon, Hillary, and we'll, we got to figure out how we can get up there. <laughs> Amen. I can't wait to see you. Yeah, okay. same here. Thank well, thank you, you again. And okay. I'll let you know when it you goes up.